Hi, I'm Yusuf Zin. My latest TVO Today podcast is on how a Canadian ends up in a Chinese prison, and if he's even alive. Listen and subscribe to Extradition. Available now, wherever you get your podcasts. Help TVO create a better world through the power of learning. Visit TVO.org and make a tax-deductible donation today. In the past few months, troubling news about the financial health of Ontario's post-secondary institutions has come to light. Many colleges and universities face serious deficits in the year to come. And after the federal government announced a cap on international students who pay inflated tuitions, well, that made the situation even worse. With us now to help wrap our heads around all of this, let's welcome, in Waterloo, Ontario, Jeff Casello. He's Associate Vice President of Graduate Studies and Postdoctoral Affairs and a professor at the University of Waterloo. And here in our studio, Ann Sado, President Emeritus of George Brown College, and Alex Usher, who's the CEO of Higher Education Strategy Associates. Great to have you two here in our studio. And Jeff, nice to have you on the line as well from Waterloo for our program tonight. Let's start, and I know we could, we could spend a half an hour talking about why all this is happening, but let's just get a bit of a checklist going and start us off. Why are things at the moment fiscally far more dire than they seem to have been in years and years and years? Well, I think in a nutshell, I'd say chronic uh, or years of chronic underfunding. Uh, And this isn't new. This is uh, many governments. I think the last major investment in post-secondary education came after the Ray Review, uh, which was uh, in the McGuinty era, 2004-2005. Uh, then that was cut back. Uh, tuitions have been cut back. 2019, 10%, frozen ever since. Uh, it goes on and on. Operating grants, if you look at funding formulas, uh, the amount that they recognize that programs need to be funding, frozen for at least 15 years. Hmm. Uh, so I think it's just a case of years and years, chronic underfunding, lack of recognition of what the system needs, and we are where we are. Jeff, what would you add to that list? Yeah, just Steve, that we've gone through a period of hyperinflation now, and like everyone else, the the forces on our delivery of education, it costs more to educate Ontarians and educate students. And of course, there hasn't been any response in the in the amount of support that we've received from government. Well, okay, let me try this then, Alex. I remember covering Queen's Park in the early 1980s, and people were protesting at Queen's Park because even under the sainted Bill Davis government, post-secondary education funding per student was 10th out of 10 provinces then. It's 10th out of 10 provinces today. Has all that much really changed? Uh, <clears throat> underfunding higher education in Ontario is a thoroughly pan-partisan affair. Um, <laughs> in the 40 years since, since you covered that in, with Bill Davis, I think there were only two years during the McGuinty period when uh, Ontario climbed up into ninth place. Um, for Ontario to reach ninth place now would take $4 billion a year. And to reach the actual, the national average or the average of the other nine provinces would take about $7 billion a year. Hmm. That's how badly it's underfunded in this province compared to the rest of Canada. And the obvious conclusion I'm drawing from that is we're not about to see $4 billion injected into the system this year. Not that I've heard. <laughs> <laughs> so we are where we are. Yeah. All right. Let's, these are your charts, Alex. So I'm going to ask our director, Sheldon Osmond, to bring the first one up. This is how post-secondary institutions realize their revenue. And we're admittedly going back a couple of years here for, um, for this information. But this is income by source, post-secondary revenue. And since around 2010, I'll just sort of read this in a bit of detail so those listening on podcast can hear. Since about 2010, government funds have been flat 
while other sources of revenue, say from students or other sources, uh, have risen steadily, risen steadily. And Alex, since these are your numbers, maybe just do a, a little deeper dive on the sure. significance of this chart. Sure. The chart here shows Canada. If you just took the Ontario numbers, it's exaggerated, right? So okay, Ontario is very different from the rest of the country in that there is more money coming in to the system from students than there is from, uh, from government. And that's not true in most of the rest of the country. Um, since 2011, the 100% of net new revenue in Ontario post-secondary has come from international students. A hundred percent of net new real revenue. Yeah, once, once you get take take care of inflation, that's the only. So I say, whenever I go to a, a college or a university, I say, if you've had a raise in the last twelve years, if you've hired any new staff in the next twelve in the last twelve years, thank an international student because that's the only place that the money's coming from. Hmm. Tuition has come back down to 2011, 2012 levels. Government funding has been frozen in nominal dollars and, and declined by twenty eight percent after inflation in the last ten years. I'm not sure where else institutions are supposed to get the money. Hmm. So, Jeff, just give us a sense about what that looks like on your actual campus. Yeah, thanks. So, you know, there was a time when government grant would have constituted quite a lot of our operating budget. But on a year over year basis, in real dollars, the amount of government grant that we receive for our students has decreased year over year. And that was before we had the tuition rollback. Maybe I can just give you an analogy, Steve. You know, the government is eager and we applaud the government to bring uh, electric battery companies to, to Ontario. We see a public good in that. So we're investing in it. And now imagine that 20 years forward, the government systematically and perpetually decreases the amount of support that they provide to those battery companies. Now imagine that the government tells the battery companies how much revenue they can generate by selling their batteries. And then go to the final step and say, imagine that the government tells you to whom you can and cannot sell your batteries and actually reduces other buyers for your batteries. All of this seems like it is not in the public interest any longer. You know, we've recognized for decades the value of public public education. And at Waterloo and like in every other post-secondary institution across the province, we're struggling. And it's not a matter of us um, not being careful stewards, because we certainly are, but it's important that we just are not able to continue to function as this battery company would with, with hmm. controls on our revenue streams just across the board. All right. And let me ask you about other sources of income, because I suspect there are people watching this or listening to this right now who are accustomed to seeing very wealthy people give tens of millions of dollars to post-secondary institutions to have their names put on buildings. And there seems to be just a great deal of you sure look like you've got money coming in all the time from rich people. So how can you be in so much financial trouble? Well, first of all, I'd tell you that uh, I don't believe that that's true. I mean, universities in general do better in fundraising than colleges do because they've been around a lot longer. And colleges uh, operate in much smaller communities. If you look at Ontario, we've been around less than 60 years, don't have that same uh, group of people. Uh, and when people do give money. And we've been very fortunate. When I was at George Brown, we had some very uh, philanthropic donors who did support our needs, but they were largely capital infra and infrastructure needs. Not most, operating. That's right. Most donors don't want to support operating. The other thing that they do support, and institutions have been very successful in this, is creating endowments for student support. So we've, we realize that there are very many students who don't have the means to pursue a post-secondary education without government supports uh, any kind of a scholarship, a bursary uh, that generates funds to support the students is right-headed. 
and a lot of donors have supported that. But it doesn't help you on the operating side. Gotcha. Let's just, again, do a little background here, because one of the fascinating things that recently happened was the province of Ontario appointed a so-called Blue Ribbon Panel to take a look at all of the stuff we're talking about tonight, and the Blue Ribbon Panel recently reported and actually kind of agrees with everything you're saying. Sheldon, bring the chart up. Let's go through this. Last year, Ministry of Colleges and Universities asked this panel to look at the sector. Here's what they found. For the years 2021-2022, compared to the rest of Canada, Ontario's Funding per college student was 44%. Per university student, it was 57%. Next board. In 2020-2021, international students generated an average of 31% of revenues for colleges, less than 20% for universities. All right, let's go through this now. Uh, The significance thereof, Alex, of these numbers that we've just shared. Uh, well, I think the 44 and 57 is actually a comparison to other provinces. That is, that is the, 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 for every dollar per student spent in the rest of the country, Ontario spends 44 cents. Right. For every dollar another province spends on universities, Ontario spends 50, 57 cents. So it just gives you, a, a, it's another way of showing the data about how... Uh, behind we are. How behind we are, exactly. I mean, I think that uh, when, when you talk about underfunding, in this province, you have to get your head around the notion that we've built an incredibly resilient system, I think. And it's a world-class system, right? University of Toronto is one of the most amazing universities in the world. It's the largest Anglophone university, or largest university in the Anglophone world. We have a college system that I think is better than any in the world. We just don't want to pay for these things, right? I mean, I think- we? I think it's Ontario. I mean, I don't think you go 38 out of 40 years being 10th out of 10 without that having a lot of popular support. Um, I don't think any political party has really made the case for higher funding for post-secondary education. They've made the case for cheaper education, right? We don't want our students to pay so much. And that is, there's been a fair bit of that, right? And the Ford government has reduced fees quite a bit uh, in real terms. But I think there's a real popular will question here that we have to think about. It's not just political parties. Let me pick up on the international student angle here because, and and again, Sheldon, I'm on page three right now. The federal government recently made this announcement about capping international students coming to this province and this country. And shall we bring the graph up here? This is middle of page three. The graph showing Ontario in terms of where it finds its revenue with government grants versus domestic and international students. Big dip on the right-hand side, domestic tuition revenue in 2019 and going down. Moderate decline in government funding, but a higher proportion of revenue coming from international students over the years. And Alex told you earlier just how dependent we are or have become uh, on that source of income. So again, Jeff, going to you here. Now that the, now that the federal government has decided we're going to take many fewer mm-hmm. international students to come to this country and attend our post-secondary institutions, what does that look like on the ground for you? Yeah, at Waterloo, uh, Steve, the number of international students we've admitted over the last five years has actually remained relatively constant, hasn't changed. And in fact, through the pandemic, we actually had a slight decline in our international students. 
Now, it is true, of course, that there's much more financial flexibility in terms of the tuition setting. And again, I think to Alex's point, um, we have students from around the world who want to come to Canada because it's an incredibly incredible place to be a graduate student or an undergraduate student. We, they come here because it is a pathway for economic mobility for them, for themselves. And also that Canada is an incredibly welcoming place, Steve. You know, if we compare what's happened in the last decade in terms of welcomeness to, to international students in North America, certainly Canada looks very, very strong in that space. And so we have the opportunity to educate, to provide mobility for those who are coming from around the world. At Waterloo, that's been a modest number, but we really, I mean, we all derive benefit from them arriving with us in, in providing that education to them. And the fact that it provides some financial flexibility is certainly necessary in the, in the economic climate we're working in. When you were at George Brown, when you were president of George Brown, any guess about what percentage of your students were from outside Canada? I know exactly how many there were. Tell it was us. about 27%. Tw okay, that feels like a big number. It wasn't the biggest number. Uh, we no, were some were somewhere, 50, 75, and 90. Yeah, they were yeah. much higher than that, mm -hmm. but uh, we did have to grow it, and it did grow because we also went through a phase where the demographics of domestic students was lower, yeah. and that's changing now. Like If you look at 2023, I think we're going to have the highest number of 18 to 20-year-olds 20 year, 20 than we've had in 10 years. So demographics are changing, and they're coming back, but when you have $2,700 on average per year for a diploma student um, from tuition. Ontario? From uh, yeah, an average student in Ontario pays $2,700 per year in tuition. That's not very much. And a foreign student pays? Probably about twelve to 15000 depending on the program. So, if they're in a degree program, it's more expensive. So, yeah, but it's very low. $2,700 is very low. Mm -hmm. uh, and to uh, increase that modestly and to continue to get some flow of funds, you also have to remember, Steve, that there was a time when we were allowed to increase tuition by 5% as a peak. Mm -hmm. Universities had the same 5% and colleges had the same 5%. But when you're increasing 5% on $7,500 a year versus $2,500 a year, at 5%, that gap continues to grow over time. Mm -hmm. And so... The college system especially, I think, has fallen further and further behind. And I think we're the only constituency in Canada that between government grant and tuition gets less than $10,000 a year per student. That doesn't even cover the cost for domestic mm. students yeah. of education. So uh, give us the big picture then, Alex. If, if you are saying, as the federal government is, that we're not going to let you bring as many foreign students into the country who pay four and five times the tuition that domestic students pay, that's a lot less revenue being realized what are these post-secondary institutions supposed to do? Well, it's going to depend a lot on how the provincial government chooses to implement the cuts. Okay, So this is a federal cut. What the federal government has said is we're going to reduce the number of total uh, visa students coming in. And we're going to apportion those, those students to each province by... Um, demographic weight, basically. So Ontario gets 40%, but Ontario was taking in about 70% of the international students, okay? Mainly through the community colleges, mainly through what are called public-private partnerships, or private colleges teaching on behalf of, of public colleges, mainly non-GTA colleges teaching in the GTA. So the question is, now we've got to get rid of, I forget the number now, but it's around 150,000 spots. How do you distribute that? That's up to the provincial government. Hmm. And we don't know how that's going to be uh, distributed. The, you know, on t the, the universities will say, listen, uh, we didn't have this huge increase in student numbers. Uh -huh. it, shouldn't be on, it shouldn't be balanced on our back. Uh, 
Uh, the colleges will say the same thing, right? So there's going to be some back and forth. And of course, uh, master students and PhD students are excluded from the caps altogether. So some places like University of Toronto are going to be a little bit sheltered from this. Um, we don't know. I mean, for the sector as a whole, it's brutal. It's, uh, well, it's, two, billion, it's $2 billion. I was just going to say, and it's, if you take that $2 billion yeah. and you divide it amongst all these, yeah. whatever, four dozen post-secondary yeah. institutions in however way you are doing it, yeah. it's several million dollars to the bottom line of many institutions. Yes. What are they, do you, they fire people or what are, they, what are they supposed to do? In the case of those institutions that have public-private partnerships, they'll just dissolve the public-private partnership. And so, yes, there will be jobs lost, but they won't be core jobs at, that, at the public institution. Courses canceled? Uh, campus is closed. Campus is closed. Jeff, follow up if you would. Yeah, I just want to jump in, Stephen, and say, you know, if you look at what's happened here in Waterloo Region, we had an influx of 10,000 new international students. And again, Waterloo's numbers have been constant. And so we have 10,000 new international students, all of whom are coming to Waterloo, looking for the same kind of housing on top of an already growing, rapidly growing area. And now you've got this demand for housing that can't be met, that's pushing prices up. And the students are not getting housed at their academic institutions. They're not getting support for basics. And now we have students who are, you know, really scraping by in our community. And the government was right, I think, to question the number of international students and the ca capacity of institutions to be able to provide supports for these students. But I think the blunt instrument of saying we're taking away 150,000 um, of these spaces in Ontario, and we're going to distribute them in, in some opaque formula that, that really doesn't take into account institutions' capacities to support these students and the evidence of how well, we have supported them in the past is really problematic from, from the university's perspective. Hmm. And what would you say? I would agree with the blunt instrument. I mean, I, I think it's not all institutions are in the same place. I think the public-private partnerships have exacerbated uh, the situation. But I'll also say that when, even when um, there was investments in those two couple of years back in the early 2000s in post-secondary education, and the system looked healthy, small and rural colleges we're having a challenge. Hmm. And I imagine that smaller and more rural universities, even though there's not as yeah. many of them. And, you know, the whole premise of the college system, when David started it, I fundamentally support this, is that there was a local opportunity for post-secondary education. So a lot of the students that go to those uh, schools in the smaller communities live in those communities. They don't attract the same number of international students. When there's nowhere to go because tuition is frozen or, or um, operating grants are frozen, international was the way. And I still fundamentally feel that recruiting international students is a good thing for Canada, uh, Ontario and Canada. We need them for our labour market needs. Uh, and uh, they're a, a great pathway. Uh, and again, it's always a balance, right? When things get out of balance, mm. uh, things are skewed and then uh, reactions are made at a policy level that sometimes do react either to extreme situations or to okay. the bad players. But uh, Jeff, I'm going to pick up on uh, with you on this one. And that is that one of the reasons that the federal government has decided to cut back the number of foreign students who can come here, they say is that these foreign students are putting added pressure on our housing accommodation market right now, and we can, we, you know, we're having a tough enough time housing people who live here already. You, you know, on the ground as you look at it, does that argument hold water? 
Yeah, I think it's totally fair. Uh, you know, at the University of Waterloo, we have a first year housing guarantee. If you come to us from Kitchener or if you come from India or if you come from Brazil, you are guaranteed a spot to live at the University of Waterloo in your first year. And then our, our region has had the capacity to move these students into private housing, some of the housing that we own off campus and so on. And so that alternative has existed. But again, when you add one to two percent of the, the population in the region of Waterloo, all international students, all in the same sector, that becomes problematic for us. We spend at the university an enormous amount of money on supports for our student, again, international and domestic. We make sure that they have wellness, we make sure that they have housing and all of those things. So the wraparound care that we provide for our students is just different in the university sector than it is in many of the other post-secondary education sectors. Yeah. But can I say that I think it's a little bit simplistic to put the um, housing crisis on the back of international students. I can understand that in smaller, agree, yes. in smaller communities, it makes more of a difference. And yes, there is a housing crisis, but I've got to tell you the type of housing that students seek out, which is not the high-end housing, does, will not answer. You know, the, the lack of uh, family housing, et cetera, won't be answered just because you're going to uh, reduce significantly the number of students. Yeah. And just because they're gone, we're still going to have a housing crisis. Uh, so I don't think it's fair to blame that. And remember, our federal government was um, encouraging immigration. Uh, and so, you know, until recently, yeah, but it shouldn't be on the backs of the institutions as well, mm -hmm. who had no choice. And, and again, things have to be in equilibrium. And maybe they're a little bit skewed right now, and therefore, the reaction, but I think it is a blunt instrument, uh, not to mention the fact that with an exemption for university graduate students, uh, and not anything on the college side, and you're feeling put upon that because yeah. the sector educates a lot of people that we do need for a labor market in uh, areas like healthcare that are lacking in the resources they need. Alex, I'm going to give you the first kick at this. We did invite, not that I'm not delighted that you three are here, but we were <laughs> hoping a fourth person would join us. And that person was the Minister of Colleges and Universities for the province of Ontario, Jill Dunlop. Uh, her office said she was unable to attend, but she says... We have been carefully reviewing the Blue Ribbon Panel's recommendations as we focus on creating a sustainable path forward and improving the financial sustainability of post-secondary institutions. As this review process continues, the government will work closely with the sector to reach an outcome that provides stability and certainty for post-secondary institutions and students alike, with further details to be announced by the end of February. You want to translate what that means in your judgment, Alex? She's had the Blue Ribbon Panel report since late August. Right, mid -August. months. Um, there's been no sign to my knowledge that there's any significant uh, investment coming. Um, I think this is one of those files where the government wants to look like it's doing something rather than actually achieving something. So I imagine there will be some money. I, I think we've heard that, that there is some money in the offing. Uh, we've heard from the Premier that he does not want to follow the Blue Ribbon Panel's uh, recommendation on higher tuition. Um, and tuition is a bigger portion of the budget than, than the, the, the grant money. Again, I mean, how do you, it, I mean, if you, they're going to say, look, we're going to raise, uh, we're going to raise grants to institutions by a percentage point or two, doesn't change a thing. Hmm. Doesn't change, it doesn't even come close to dealing with what the, the Blue Ribbon panel said, and certainly doesn't come, you know, close to making up for what's about to happen here with, uh, with the cap on international students. Jeff, I know it might make you unpopular, but... Tuition has been frozen for five and a half years at 2018 levels. In your judgment, does that freeze have to end? It has to end, Steve. I think that um, 
you know, if you look around the world at how much tuition students pay for for post-secondary education, let's start in the U.S. And in the U.S., we have these sort of very well-endowed universities that can offer um, higher education at a rate that is consistent with what a family is able to pay. And so I, I went to a university way back in 1988 where the tuition was $35,000. At the time, my family was a very blue-collar family. We paid $2,800 out of pocket per year because the university had the support to be able to do that. If you go to Europe, there is typically no charge for tuition. If you are a German student, uh, if you are a Dutch student and you want to attend a university in those countries, you don't pay tuition because the government finds so much value in providing that support. In Canada, where we've landed is we want the students to share the responsibility for tuition with government. And if the costs increase year over year, there has to be pathways for the revenue streams to come into these universities and to the colleges to uh, to be able to provide that education. And again, I just go back to the fundamental premise that we all agree that education and having an educated workforce is good for society. And so the government ought to share that responsibility with those who are being educated. That's the premise we've been operating on for 100 years in Ontario. And this has been a major, I think, move away from that uh, in terms of the government contribution in the last seven years. And yeah, I won't be popular, but I do think we ought to have increases in tuition to make sure that these universities and colleges stay, stay sustainable. All right, we're going to give our friend from out of town the last word on this one. I want to thank the three of you for coming into TVO tonight and uh, helping us understand this issue, which, as you point out, Alex, has only been going on for about 40 or 50 years in this <laughs> province, and I'm sure one day they'll get the hang of it. Uh, where's our shot? There we go. Ann Sato, the former president of George Brown College. Alex Usher, CEO of Higher Education Strategy Associates. Jeff Casello, the professor and associate vice president, graduate and postdoctoral affairs at the University of Waterloo. Great to have the three of you on TVO tonight. Many thanks. Thanks, Steve. Thank you. Thank you. The Agenda with Steve Pakin is made possible through generous philanthropic contributions from viewers like you. Thank you for supporting TVO's journalism.